Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all, and welcome to our weekly episode of Taking Care of uh, Business. My guests today, uh, here in this uh, wonderful studio in Phoenix, um, manage commercial real estate brokerages in two very different locations. My guests today are Scott Morse, managing partner at Citadel Partners, a real estate advisory firm in Dallas, Texas, and Tim Mitchell, president at Norris and Stevens Investment Real Estate Services in Portland, Oregon. Good morning, Scott and Tim. Good morning. Are you okay? Everybody's okay? Yeah, we're good. Good, you're smiling? Yeah. Plenty of coffee. Perfect. Thanks for being my guest today. I really appreciate it. It's early in Phoenix. It's uh, 7 a.m. and I know it's uh, a little bit tough, but, uh, uh, you know, I appreciate uh, you guys being here. Uh, Before we dive into the show, I want to ask you a question that uh, I've been asking in Calgary for the last uh, few months. Uh, My guest we kind of noticed that the U.S., Canada, and Mexico are kind of looking at uh, putting together a bid to host the World Cup in 2026, uh, the Soccer World Cup, I should say, and um, U.S. will be probably the biggest uh, venue for that competition if they put in a bid. And what I've noticed in the last few, I would say, couple of weeks, I've noticed that Chicago, Minneapolis, and Vancouver decided to pull out from that bid. And as business people and as sports fans, uh, what is your opinion uh, in whether we should put together a bid, whether the U.S. should lead this bid to host? Because we know that in the last, what, 20 years, the price of hosting those games or the Olympics kind of ballooned to enormous numbers. So take it from here, guys. Who wants to be first to respond to this question? Well, Tim. You know, I hail from Portland, Oregon, and Portland is Soccer City USA, we would like to think. We have the Portland Timbers, which is an MLS team, and our stadium really isn't that big, but we sell out, there's a waiting list, so from uh, Portland's standpoint, we would love to have uh, the World Cup here. I also got a chance to see uh, a World Cup game the last time it was in the United States, or maybe two times ago, and in the 1990s, went to the Rose Bowl, and uh, it was quite the spectacle. So um, if there was an opportunity to do it, I think we should wholeheartedly go after it. Scott? Yeah, you know, being from Dallas, football is uh, uh, really our, our focus, but soccer is has become very big in the Southwest. And when you have the opportunity to bring a sporting event like that to a uh, economy, the amount of money that's brought into the economy is phenomenal. We've seen what has happened with Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys and some of the events that he's put on with his new stadium. So I would wholeheartedly support uh, the U.S. going hard after that. I see. By the way, the, what I remember from the World Cup in the U.S. in the, it was 1990 or 1994. I can't remember. I think it was 94 is after the opening game, I remember the OJ driving on the, on the freeway. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, was li- I was living down there at the time. And, uh, 
was gripped to the TV with yeah. going on. Yeah. Um, so, gentlemen, uh, before we dive into business, uh, after all, talking, taking care of business is about business and about entrepreneurship, but we want to know more of a little bit about you as a person and where you come from. So, uh, Tim, I'll start with you again. Uh, is Portland, was all Portland always home? No, I actually grew up in a little town in eastern Washington called Walla Walla. The town they loved so much they named it twice. Um, <laughs> Uh, I was uh, I was an athlete and uh, ended up getting a uh, football scholarship to the University of Utah and played uh, a couple of years there after transferring from a junior college. Got my degree in marketing in 1986 and uh, went to business into business uh, for uh, a computer company NCR, which is like Xerox, IBM. Yeah. Got that good sales training. Are they still in business since you are? I remember uh, those yeah. uh, national cash. Yeah. No, they are. They do a lot of ATM work these yeah. days, but it's been it's been a long time. But got real good sales training, and I actually interviewed for a position in commercial real estate. I really knew nothing about it. Uh, didn't get the position, but thought if there was ever another opportunity, that I would take it. And uh, the guy that interviewed me ended up here in Phoenix. And in 1987, I quit a fantastic job with a good salary, expense account, and all that to move <laughs> to Phoenix, Arizona in 1987, right after the tax laws. So changed. how did you end up in Portland? Uh, we, well, we, we've been to Walla Walla, we've been to Utah, we've been to Phoenix. And, uh, anybody who lives in Phoenix gets over to San Diego. So then I spent 10 years in San Diego, both in uh, investment brokerage and then working for a small development firm, uh, buying land and doing yeah. entitlement, uh, learned the hospitality business, and then uh, a headhunter found me uh, to do acquisition work for a uh, very wealthy family up in uh, Portland, Oregon, and moved uh, my wife at the time and my two kids up there and uh, have been there now 19 years. I see. So you mentioned uh, by passing that you are an athlete. Can you kind of elaborate uh, what kind of sport did you focus on? Yeah, just like uh, uh, Scott said, uh, football is king. And so I was, uh, <laughs> I was actually an all-state defensive back, but uh, wanted to play quarterback in college. So played college football and um, yeah. That was the uh, University of Utah? University of Utah. As a QB? Yes. I see. Uh, we, we will discuss QBs in the future, uh, you and I. Uh, Scott, <laughs> I, I understand that Dallas is where you're from. Yes. Uh, I, born, raised, born, born and raised and then uh, left Dallas and went to uh, Arkansas where I went to the University of Arkansas. I also played football and then hurt my back in, in football. I, in football. That, that's surprising. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know there are injuries. In oh, football. yeah, there's a few. There's a few. So I stayed, got a degree in real estate and finance. Uh, no, no particular reason. I just liked the curriculum, and, and um, it was a, a good start for me. So I, got, I came back to Dallas, and I had worked some construction in college and high school. And I thought it was a great idea for me to start my own business with no idea what, what I was doing. So that lasted a period of nine months. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, it was perfect. Uh, I was able to pay my uh, dad back his money <laughs> who invested in me. And I was actually uh, broke the day I walked down the aisle to marry my wife. <laughs> um, and uh, what position did you play? As I played linebacker and nose guard. Mm. So I was small for Division I college, but I went to University of Arkansas because Lou Holtz was coming in at that time, and they had a guy named Mike Campbell who had played nose guard, 
for the Southwest Conference, and so they they were used to smaller defensive linemen. But okay. I was I was well outclassed, and it was time for me to move on and hang up the cleats. <laughs> any any QBs under your belt that you sacked? <laughs> A few. <laughs> Never Tim though. Oh, I see. Uh, wow, he was too fast. <laughs> yeah, too fast. Couldn't catch him. <laughs> um, Talking about your families, yeah. Any entrepreneurs in your family? Your parents, siblings, or, uh, or you were the black sheep became that became an entrepreneur? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my dad was a, a part of a family business out of Boston. Uh, they were they were an old line business that started in the rendering business, and then my dad went to World War II, came back, and my grandfather had invested in an oil business in Dallas and it was not doing well at the time, so my dad came down here and ran that. But, uh, so he had, he had a start, he didn't start it on his own. I started this uh, without a plan, without really, I, and I think we'll get into some of the those mistakes that were made, but no, I, I, I started it and have enjoyed it. Tim, in your family, any entrepreneurship? Um, my family background were primarily uh, in, in the legal side of things. Uh, my uncle is a Superior Court judge, my brother's a practicing attorney now, uh, and the newspaper business. My grandfather was an editor, my father was a sports writer, uh, and so I kind of had the legal background and I had the writing background. I, I knew I didn't want to get into law, but I wanted to be able to do something that uh, had a law aspect to it. But uh, about the only entrepreneurial thing was my father got into this uh, business, uh, God, years back in the late 60s, early 70s called Torganol, and it was an interesting kind of floor covering and uh, didn't do very well. Mm -hmm. So. Um, that that that's primarily the entrepreneurship. You mentioned uh, that you went to university and you took marketing. Yes. Right. What drew you? To, what drew, drew you to kind of uh, choose this one? Is well, it? I was I was going to go into accounting, and then I started to realize that I had a little <laughs> bit more of a personality than most uh, accountants. You you have a personality. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we never noticed. That. No, never, never. Yeah, that was the kid that they were always telling to be quiet in class because I was <laughs> talking too much. So, no, I I think uh, sales, uh, you know, came to me early on, and I realized, you know, if you can't sell yourself, then you probably can't sell much, and so you really have to learn uh, uh, how to how to market yourself to get that position so that you could then go out and market something. I took a great, great college course. I'll never forget the guy, he reminds me of Colonel Clink from the old uh, Hogan's <laughs> Heroes. Uh, and it was called uh, the, the um, it was it was a, it was a marketing class. It was a communications class, but it was more direct selling. It was called the need satisfaction theory of selling. And so he would take us through this whole sales process, and you know we do a lot of role playing. And these are in college classes back in you know the uh, mid to late '80s. So, and I still use some of those skills that I learned back then uh, today. Wow, need satisfaction. That's an interesting one. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> Off air. <laughs> um, so Scott, you said your father or your grandfather invested mm -hmm. in the oil and gas industry. Right. You sent your father to Dallas to kind of fix the company. Right. How did you end up in real estate and not in oil and gas? Dallas, I mean, Texas is known for oil and gas. Right, 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 right. So... How did you end up going to university and taking real estate? 
you know, I saw my dad. He had he had owned some uh, many warehouses, those type of things. Had some small land investments. I had a good buddy that his dad was in the real estate business, and 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 again, I just I, I picked it with no real focus on it, like an accountant or an attorney. I just picked it, and I liked the curriculum, so I stuck with it. And then when I got back from school, and I had the the short entree in, in and out of the construction business. Uh, I got into real estate and, and I like the creativity piece of it. Um, I like the challenge part of it. The, the sports background came out and like the competitive nature of it. And I love the people nature of it. it was a little bit different from Tim, uh, who all, was always talking. I was always the guy kind of sitting in the back, listening, watching, and then I would step up. Uh, in sports, I was not like that, but in social engagements, I was like that. And so that was a challenge for me initially getting into the business was to really kind of come out of my shell. But you're right, Tim. I mean, you, you have to learn how to sell yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and athletes, I, I know you probably look for athletes uh, to hire. I always look for yep. athletes to hire. You know, football is an interesting sport because unlike most other lifetime sports, when we have to give it up, it's hard. You have to take those cleats and you hang them up on the wall and you know you don't go out and put the pads on on a weekend or you know go play an intramural. It's over. Yeah, it, once it's over, it's over. And so I needed an outlet for that competitive spirit and yeah. that really is what drove me to real estate. I see. Um, are you guys still involved in the alumni of, of universities? Absolutely. Yes. Both, uh, both the University of Utah and uh, in Portland I'm on the board uh, advisory board for Portland State University's master's program in real estate. Mm-hmm. And Scott? Yeah, I'm involved with the local Dallas chapter of the Arkansas alumni. How, how important is it and why is it so important? Because I, I compare it to Canada. And most universities, I think there's only one university in Canada that has the, I would say, the, the, the alumni spirit that the U.S. has. And I'm always, you know, surprised or I would say it's so nice to see the alumni here and how they support each other. Why is it do you think that it's important for you to be involved and to every graduate to be involved and help other graduates? Well, I think it's the camaraderie. Uh, we all have something in common. We can all go back to our days at the university and you know we have a common ground there. There are the sports uh, games and events that bring us all together. Uh, and then there's the networking opportunities. Um, and then finally, you know, I think the older you get, the more you start to focus on wanting to give back. Yep. I mean, there were people yep. that influenced us, like that class I took uh, that was highly influential in what need, I did. Need satisfaction, right? That's the class. There you go, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I have uh, now spoken to classes at Portland State about what it's like to be a commercial real estate broker and you know, the ups and downs of it all, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, doing that uh, at Utah as well. Um, Scott, in a few sentences, describe your company, your current company. So Citadel Partners is a real estate advisory firm advising corporate clients on their real estate facility needs. So we deal with uh, large publicly traded companies as well as private startup companies and anything around their corporate headquarters, whether they're leasing, acquisition, disposition, build a suit. 
uh, we, we help align their real estate strategy with their business strategy and help them grow and, and use the real estate to help them. How many employees do you guys have? We have 10. We're, we started, this is a startup for us. Uh, this is my second venue into starting a company. And so we're into our, I guess we've just finished our sixth year. And uh, all of them are salespeople, or you have um, a mix of uh, support stuff? We, we have we have sales support, we have debt and equity, and we have project and construction management services. Okay, perfect. Uh, Tim, we'll talk about your company later, uh, and you know why? We got to the first commercial break, uh, and uh, you know I encourage our listeners to open a new tab. Go to www.citadelpartners.com. US.com, check their case studies and testimonials pages, learn about Citadel Partners team quality of service. We will meet you here on the other side of the commercials. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back with my guests, uh, Scott Morris, Managing Partner with Citadel Partner, uh, Partner sorry, Real Estate in Dallas, and Tim Mitchell, President of Norris and Stevens Real Estate in Portland. So, Scott, it's July 1987. You start Morse Company. 
um, commercial real estate brokerage that uh, deals with tenants, right? Mostly right. representing right. tenants. So what made you decide that this is the right time to you to start your own firm? So at the time I was probably 28, 29, I got in the business in 1981 um, and I, I grew through the business, then the Tax Reform Act in 1986 hit. The principals of company that I was working with had invested in commercial real estate, and the world's it's really started to implode around the real estate business in the Southwest. And the rules started to change internally, didn't like what I was seeing, so uh, with a beer, a cigar, and a beach, I uh, had the great idea that I was going to go start my own company, and, and really, it, it was it was uh, unplanned. Uh, I, w- I, w- I assumed that with the divorces, the bankruptcies, the suicides that were going on, literally, um, that if I failed, it I would be a blip on the radar. So why not start now and go see if I could make it happen? And if I could, then I would gain some credibility through that process. Any naysayers trying to... Everybody. 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 It's the wrong time. It's the wrong time. You don't know what you're doing. You're underfunded. You have no plan. Nobody knows what's going to go on in the business. There was not one supporting person except my wife. I see. So everybody already then knew that you have no clue what you're doing. That's exactly right. (laughs) They they still know it. (laughs) 36 years later or whatever it is. (laughs) Still trying to find a clue. I see. Um, Tim. Uh, question for you. You described earlier um, how you were kind of climbing through the ranks in your career, uh, working in bigger companies. Uh, I don't know if where some of them were public or not or private, most of them. But you're going from associate to vice president to executive vice president to why move into the private sector and become an entrepreneur? What kind of, what's... Why are you doing this mistake? <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you, the hook was the gentleman who, uh, who is, has passed away but who was responsible for getting me into the real estate business asked me a very profound question. And he said, are you willing to take a risk that most people will not take to make more money in a year than some people will make in a lifetime? And what was your answer? Sign me up. You know, I went hook, line, and sinker. And so I went from this big publicly traded computer company to small boutique uh, real estate brokerages. Uh, the first one, we were hired and then summarily fired within 30 days. And uh, I had just moved to Phoenix from Salt Lake City and uh, found myself out on my butt. Uh, and luckily, we were able to, to uh, take a listing that we had and get a job with another firm here in, in Phoenix. And that was kind of the start of it. But I've always worked for smaller, uh, more entrepreneurial firms in my career along the way. And I think that there's a lot more satisfaction doing that because you get to put your stamp on things and have, you know, it's like playing football at a big college or a little college, right? Do you want to be a big fish in a little pond or a little fish in a big pond? And I always kind of preferred to be the big fish as much as I could. (laughs) Now, Scott, um, share with us a little bit about your first firm, the the, the Morse Group. How big was it? How many years did you have it? We were a boutique company, uh, started in 87, uh, 1989, uh, almost killed me. 
Um, and then in 92, the RTC started to release some pro product and the market really took a turn for the good at that point, the last half of 92. And I was able to start paying my bills and start making some money. And I hired a couple people, for the most part, from 87 through about 90, I was a sole practitioner. Uh, back then, you could do that. Mm -hmm. uh, today, you can't do that. Uh, so I started to put a little... Uh, boundaries on the sandbox, start build some plans, get a get a bank loan, start really talking to people, getting some mentorship. And so I grew the company from 1987 to 2005 when we were acquired by a uh, international real estate company. And I tried the big corporate international real estate, national corporate services work, that kind of thing. Um, I want to kind of focus on, on that point that you just mentioned, that you sold to a bigger whale, let's call right. it a whale, right? right. an international yep. whale, um, and um, you were waiting for the handcuffs to get off you, <laughs> to start Citadel Partners? No, I tell you what, I when I made that decision, what, what really sponsored that decision, we had gotten lucky with uh, catching the tech uh, boom. boom, okay? And we, we liked working with the tech players. We understood the office, the industrial business, how they use real estate, uh, and we got lucky. So we started doing business around the country, and we said, you know, we probably need a larger footprint. And we had companies every year come to us and say, why don't you come join us? Mm -hmm. But this one group came to us, they wrote me a check, and we were gonna supposedly be instrumental in the growth of their office in the Dallas market. Um, and we had a five-year non-compete. I stayed six and a half years, and at the time, I, I, when it when it expired, I just said, you know, this is not making me happy, and I got to put I got to put some fun back in my life. I was early fifties at the time, and it was time. The market was starting to turn again, and I knew how much time, energy, and money starting a firm was going to take. And if I was going to do it, I needed to do it at that time. I see. And so we spun out uh, and rebranded under the Citadel Partner brand, and uh, here we are. I see. Tim, um, going back to you, you, you mentioned earlier that you had uh, a mentor that kind of helped you make that decision to move into the real estate, to move into the private sector. How important is it, uh, or was it to you, uh, maybe, you know, maybe even it's on an egotistic level, to be kind of an owner, a partner, be kind of a decision maker? You know, again, I think that uh, mentorship in, uh, in any business is crucial, you know, because you get the opportunity to learn from somebody who has the experience uh, and that can guide you. You don't want to get involved with somebody who is a control freak, so to speak, because you, <laughs> you need to have somebody um, let you go fail a little bit. And I think failure, you know, is, is where you really learn. And, and unfortunately, I've had quite a few learning opportunities. <laughs> <along> <laughs> <there>. <laughs> but uh, uh, we, we all did. Yeah. Re relax. Yeah. You know, and I think that's key. But if I could give one piece of advice to anybody going forward, uh, regardless of whether it's real estate or whatever venture they decide to, 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 uh, to get into, it should be that don't ever, ever give up uh, unless, you know, you just cannot make it. Um, and, and like, you know, Scott said, I had, I was getting calls from my, 
my mom, my brother, my sister going, hey, don't you think you might want to go try and find something that uh, maybe you could get a salary with and, you know, do something else? And I just, you know, I, I, I've seen a lot of friends of mine who have gone from one career to another career to another career, always looking for that next thing and never giving what they initially got into long enough. So uh, you, you don't know this about me, but it, I actually have a couple of tattoos. And one of the tattoos that I've got is in Chinese lettering. It's right down my backbone, and, it, and it's Chinese for don't ever give up. Mm. And I've tried to live by that uh, my whole career. And um, it's okay if we don't see those tattoos. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, you both have partners? Yes. We, uh, well, we're a, we're a C-Corp. So we have shareholders, shareholders. but the shareholders are, uh, as we call them, partners in the firm. And uh, we have 11 of them. Mm -hmm. Two people uh, just retired uh, this last year. And so we ended up buying them out of their shares. And then we added three more. So I think we have about 11 shareholders in our firm. And you, Scott? How yes, I, I have another business partner uh, back. He joined me in 1995. And it's been a tremendous relationship. Come at business completely different, mm -hmm. but our core values are absolutely aligned. And we've been able to uh, help one another kind of be good cop, bad cop, and really assess and look at situations from 360 degrees. And it's really been beneficial for not only in building the business, but also in providing client service. So I'll get to you, Tim, in a second because you mentioned 11 shareholders. Um, and you guys, and you, Scott, you have one partner. Right. So what is the decision-making process between the two of you? How, how does how do you make decisions? Is it is does someone have veto power over the other? For nope. example, if you don't agree on something, one wants to do th one thing and the other doesn't agree. How does it work? We work it out, and we we talked about that, and I think that's the importance of having the the mutual respect and trust in your business partners, uh, because it, it all starts from the inside. And, and I'll, I'll go back to a quick story. I've got three kids, they're all grown now, but when my oldest son was probably four or five years old, I was trying to get him a uh, basketball hoop. And I'd rented a jackhammer at night, and I was trying to break out this, this basketball hoop and put the new one in. And I kept coming into the office and my business partner said, what is wrong with you? And I told him what I was doing. He said, come on. And he gets in his truck. We're both, it, at that time, we're wearing suit and ties. And he says, come on, we'll go take care of this. Comes over to my house. He says, now, stand out and tell me when my bumper hits that thing. <laughs> and he comes up. He nudges it with his truck. We pull it out within literally two minutes. And I said to myself, that's a guy that I want to get in a foxhole with because he was willing to give of himself for my benefit and he got nothing from it. And that really has been the foundation of our, our relationship. And so to your question of how do we deal with uh, challenges and issues, that type of thing, we talk it out. And before we started, uh, I tend to be more the, the kind of the vision operations and I have an ability to, to come up with a concept and put the plan in place to execute. And he's able to kind of bounce ideas off strategically, and it's been a, a real good fit. Tim, 11 partners, 11 shareholders. 
Is it all equal shares or do you have different classes? Oh, no. Uh, we've got uh, one particular partner that owns most of the firm, okay. most of the shares in the firm, and then it goes down uh, uh, over the years. Uh, people have gained more stock as, the, uh, as time goes by. But we actually run our firm with a five-person executive committee. So okay. chairman of the board, myself the president, two executive vice presidents, and then one of the other shareholders who's a practicing broker, uh, we call him the uh, partner at large, broker at large. And so one would think that it would be a, uh, a three to two vote if you ever needed it, but most of the time we are all pretty much on board with what we do and, and uh, so that's, that's how we run our firm. I see, and, and the majority shareholder has veto power? Yeah, when you well, own that much of the company. Yeah. Maybe he, he didn't <laughs> use it yet, but let me ask you, does he have a veto power? Uh, ultimately, yes. Okay. Yes. But you didn't get to that yet? No, we, no, we haven't. I see. And do you have an AGM with all 11 shareholders, like, uh, you know, share with them information about the company, financials? How do, how do you run 11 shareholders? Actually, they're, uh, they're for the most part, silent uh, you know they we look for their views but uh, and, then you, and then you ignore them yeah well <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we take them into consideration <laughs> okay um, and then we have a uh, we're on a fiscal year basis and our fiscal year is going to be ending in April and every May we have a uh, shareholders dinner so we all sit down and uh, have a real nice steak and some good red wine and talk about uh, you know, things that are going on in the company and kind of the direction and the vision that we're going and give them a, a platform to tell us uh, what they'd like to see. And um, But we're, you know, we're all pretty much in lockstep aligned in, in where we're headed and what we want to do. Um, any cash calls? No. Oh. I, will, I will tell you, um, I don't know if I have time, but, you know, about our firm, I mean, we are a full-service commercial real estate firm. That's my next question, okay. is share with us about your company a Good. little bit. Uh, full-service uh, commercial real estate firm. We were founded in 1966 by Mr. Norris and Mr. Stevens, who have both passed on. But um, we do all the food groups in the commercial real estate business, office, retail, industrial, uh, investment sales. We do apartments. And we also have a very good management group. We manage over 9,500 apartment units in Oregon, the Willamette Valley, Southwest Washington, uh, and then we have about six and a half million square feet of commercial property management as well. So, you know, that really pays the bills and keeps the door open and doors open. And even when the market uh, goes down and the brokerage business is not bringing the revenues in that it normally would, um, we've got that, that base to fall back on. And that's, that's real nice that a lot of other uh, commercial real estate firms don't necessarily have. And, and how many people overall you have and what's the kind of, uh, I would say, the divide between brokers, uh, property managers, admin? We have uh, 75 total employees. We have our own marketing department. We've got staff. We've got uh, property managers on the commercial side. We've got asset managers on the apartment side. Um, you know, we have over 130 apartment projects and they all have on-site managers they're technically our employees but we work through an outsourcing uh, um, employment company with them okay. and uh, it's uh, it, it's a pretty nice well-oiled machine and that diversification of the product types really helps us out when you know office is up and retail is down and 
multifamily is up and yep. industrial is down, you know, it, it kind of smooths out those, those bumpy spots in the road uh, when the economy takes a turn. Perfect. So uh, we reached our second commercial break. Uh, once again, during our commercial break, open a new tab and check www.norris-stevens.com. Uh, learn about their success in the recent transaction page and find out more about their services in the Portland area. We will be, we will be back with you immediately following the commercials. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I-Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back uh, for the home stretch of today's Taking Care of Business with my guests, uh, T. Mitchell, President of Norris and Stevens Real Estate in Portland, and Scott Morse, Managing Partner at Citadel Partners in Dallas. Um, Scott, earlier you mentioned the word core values. We share core values. Do you have mission, vision, purpose as kind of, you know, on the wall when you walk into the Citadel office? Absolutely. And... Um, does everybody agree? Like, how do you take it from the wall to the office? So, great question. Um, we we sat down and uh, I, I had a I had a opportunity to attend something called Conscious Capitalism, and it was all about organizations' uh, purpose. And and I, I went back to the office. I got everybody in the conference room, and I said, "What's our purpose?" And I saw very quickly that we weren't aligned and we weren't communicating exactly what, what our purpose as an organization was. And when, when you get everybody in the room and we sat down and it took us probably a week of intense meetings to really ferret out everybody's thought process and we agreed on a purpose, we agreed, we agreed on our core values as an organization and then we agreed on our beliefs that are going to guide our behavior, with not only with ourselves, but with our clients and with our industry and community. And yes, that, that sits up on the wall, uh, and it really is our guidepost for recruiting, operations, and how we deal with one another in-house. Tim, same question. Do you guys have mission, vision, purpose? 
Primarily a uh, mission statement, it's creating vision and value in investment real estate. And that is uh, to basically take care of the client, whoever the client might be, and uh, put them ahead of uh, you know your own um, priority and your own success and do the right thing for the client. I have a question though. Um, it's very easy to control 10 people. How do you send a message from the wall to the office for 75 employees? Way tougher. It is. Uh, however, you know, we have a lot of meetings, a lot of sales meetings, a lot of uh, property management meetings, and I think it all starts with the five people on the executive committee, and we try and bring that down uh, through all of the uh, other higher level employees, all the way down to all of the staff people. And, um, you know, if you just have to walk the walk and, and, and talk the talk, and I think that if you um, if you show them the right things to do and you live your life that way, uh, it, it hopefully permeates throughout your, your organization. Um, we're all in the uh, kind of world of sales at the end of the day. Uh, we all run sales organizations, privately owned sales organizations. And one of the toughest thing that we have or assignments or I would say uh, job uh, description in our job description is to keep the top talent. Because the, as, as Scott, you know, you mentioned earlier that you were, you know, people were haunting you to, to sell to the bigger whales right, and, and, right. And, and eventually you sold and you were disappointed. How do you, team, how do you guys keep your top talent? Well, I think, uh, you know, compensation is one thing. Uh, I think it's also, you know, there's, there's intrinsic and extrinsic rewards in anything that you do. And so at the end of the day, you know, we're all motivated, I think, by remuneration and by the amount of money that you can make. But it's also, you know, we have a really neat culture at Norris and Stevens. It's different from a lot of real estate brokerages. A lot of brokerages, you know, they don't necessarily do things with each other. They're very um, concerned about uh, somebody taking a deal or overhearing something. And we just, we don't have that kind of a culture at Norris and Stevens. We have a very uh, inclusive and collaborative culture. Uh, we work together, we share information, we don't have to clean off our desks at night, uh, <laughs> you know, lock, back, lock lock, the drawers. locking drawers. <laughs> None of, if, if we have anybody that ever comes to the firm that gives any hint that uh, they would compromise that, they aren't around for very long. The other thing is, is that, uh, you know, we started some real neat things like a, um, an awards trip, you know, in, uh, in April, we're all headed down to Mexico, the, the brokers who reached a certain level and that the company has uh, hit a certain level of brokerage revenues. I'm taking uh, them and their wife, spouse, uh, partner, girlfriend, significant boyfriend, other. significant yeah. other, yeah, uh, down for an all-inclusive vacation for a week. And, and you know, again, that's just more team building, bonding time, and, you know, it really gets the spouse and the partner and the, the yeah. significant other invested in, hey, you know, how come we didn't make the trip this year, right? You know, and it kind of uh, pushes them along to uh, to increase their, uh, their, their earnings. Scott, how do you recruit maintain and grow your company with top talent? It's the hardest thing there is to do in the business because it is a people business and and I think Tim hit on it. it it's all about culture. And so go back to those purpose and values that we talked about. You have to find people that are aligned. Uh, people talk about compensation, but it, in my experience, compensation is important, but people don't leave a firm 
be because of another five or ten or fifteen percent. They leave a firm because the firm's not aligned with them or there there's an issue there. And so we work very diligently to find people that are aligned from a core value perspective. They have complementary but different skill sets. And then much like Tim does, uh, we work in a very open, collaborative environment. So there's a lot of teaming, there's shared databases, and as you know in our industry, that's not common. Uh, so we're trying to do things that are uh, pushing the envelope a little bit. And we're, we, my business partner and I focus on, we're really trying to help them grow their business so that they would they look at it in their private moments and go I'd be an idiot to leave. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to do we we've got incentives to for them to help us recruit. Uh, we're out recruiting talking. I mean that's just a a, a normal part of my day now I is see. looking for recruits. Now, um, if I go to your office, visit mm -hmm. your office mm -hmm. and you're out for lunch. Yep. And I sit with your employees, mm -hmm. your brokers, your support staff and ask them share with me a little bit about Scott's leadership style. What do you think they will say? <laughs> Great question. Great question. And you cannot plead the fifth. Yeah, okay. So I have to answer this? <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez, I was hoping you'd do that. <laughs> Team, wait for your way. <laughs> yeah, wait for your opportunity, pal. Oh, boy. Uh, I, I think I, I, I hopefully am, am a leader that wants to help. I'm, I'm looking to give more than I get. Uh, you know, a good leader and needs satisfaction. That's course, right. right. That's right. I think we it, and you know, Tim and I both are talking about football, but I think it's important. Um, a good football coach, okay, is judged by the talent that he generates in his team. And so I look at it, and I look very, very specifically at myself. Uh, what am I doing to bring our people along? both from a support perspective as well as from a production perspective. So hopefully they would tell you that I'm open, I'm direct, uh, I'm authentic, and I will never, ever, ever, ever give up, and I will go to the mat for them. As, as long as they're being honest, ethical, and legal, and working hard, I will absolutely go to the mat for them. Tim, you had time to think about it <laughs> and I'm yeah. sure let me guess let me guess something okay I'm going to make a, a mistake I'm going to assume which we're sure not allowed to do in the sales but you're going through your head the guys in the office what do they think about me <laughs> exactly no I think you know Scott made some very valid points I think that um, you know, because I don't do that much actual brokerage anymore, I do, you know, an investment sale here and there, and I do some work for some personal friends of mine who are uh, franchisees. You know, I really live vicariously through the brokers. And um, the one thing that I try not to be is a control freak. Um, I want them, again, to be able to go out and unfortunately fail at times, but I really want them out on the field playing. You know, I think it was uh, Teddy Roosevelt, and I'll paraphrase this because my mentor who got me in the business used to talk about this, and he would, the, 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 the paraphrase is, pity the man <clears throat> who sits in the stands 
and watches the game for he knows neither the thrill of victory nor the agony of defeat. Mm -hmm. And so the one thing that I do is I really want them to go solve that problem themselves. My door is always open and I'm there to strategize with them. So the kind of leader that I am is to let them play, to let them get out and do what they do best. And then I guide them and kind of, I'm, I'm the bumpers, so to speak, and the rails on the bowling alley, right? I'm trying to kind of keep them within a range that they're going to be successful. But, you know, the, nobody likes to have their thumb on them uh, and be controlled all the time and feel like they don't have any control over their own future. So, uh, and, and how do you measure your success? I, I'm a numbers guy, you know? Uh, I am constantly looking at how are we producing? Uh, I look at trends. Uh, I look at, um, uh, you know, where is the next few months going to be? Um, I'm constantly sitting down, uh, talking with them, trying to figure out what their pipeline is looking like. Um, and if there's some, some adjustments that need to be made along the way, then we do it, you know, sooner rather than later. Scott, how do you measure your success? Pretty much the same. I mean, uh, Tim's talking about some things, uh, and I think that's a real talent uh, to not be over-controlling and really guide and help people. And for a firm with 75 people, that's that's a, a challenge for sure. Uh, we're, we're looking at numbers, but I'm, I'm also looking at progress, mm -hmm. okay? So that, as you know, this business is a long sales cycle and you can't always look at the raw numbers because I can have somebody that is doing everything right, really working hard, but the chips aren't falling in their court. And so that's where I need to come in and I need to be empathetic and I need to say, uh, come on, let's go and, and support that person. Then you may have somebody over here that is, is kind of loafing and that's when you need to put a boot in their ass. So it, it, you, have to, you have to really evaluate that, uh, but numbers are important. I mean, at the end of the day, the one thing that you can't, can count on is the expenses are always there and the revenue may not be. Yeah. And you have to be working a, you know, six months to a year ahead of yourself. What keeps you uh, awake at night? Am I really doing what, what my charge is to myself? Uh, we want we want to grow an organization. Uh, it's challenging. It's difficult, uh, and we want to build something that is self-sustaining, long beyond my business partner and myself. So my challenge is, you know, we've only got 10 people, but that's still 10 families that we're responsible for, and 10 people that we've made a commitment to. And so what keeps me up at night is, is kind of checking my oil to see, am I really doing my part to help the individuals in the organization be successful? What keeps you up at night? Well, let's see, I've been in the real estate business now 31 years, and so it's been three pretty good cycles now where I've seen ups and downs. And, you know, this last run that we're in right now has gone on longer than any yep. of them. And I'm sitting here, obviously, trying to look forward and go, what is going to stop this train yep. from rolling? And, you know, all the things that Scott said about his employees, I think that, you know, we, 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 we want the best for them. And we want to make sure that they're trained, that they have all the uh, resources that they need, and that they have all the help from me that, uh, that I can give them. But it's kind of the, it, it's the unknown 
that's out there that what what is coming on the horizon that we all should have seen every one of those cycles we all you know we're all Monday morning quarterbacks right we all look back and go you know why didn't I see that and hopefully take that experience that we've gotten over the years and 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 put it into play so we're about three or four minutes from the end of, uh, of our show okay and I'll have a few ping pong continue ping pong questions for both of you um, Tim what have you learned about yourself during this journey of 30-some years from C CNR and from NCR, NCR all the way to Norris and Stevens yeah to president of Norris and Stevens. <clears throat> I'll tell you uh, and, I, and I say this to a lot of people if I knew back in college that I'd be doing what I am doing today I would have taken much more psychology <laughs> and that's because yep. again we are in a people business and you know there are always people issues and uh, that has been probably the biggest revelation that I've had over the years in my career is you know this thing doesn't work without good people that are on your side That's that right. are walking lockstep with you and uh, and and solving the people problems that happen naturally in the course of life Scott what have you learned about yourself during this journey from you know a broken you know uh, construction company it was the yeah. first yeah. one yeah <laughs> to today so I've learned a lot about leadership and when I first started I thought a good leader meant that you painted a direction and you went without anybody uh, involvement that's what that's what a leader did and what I learned was a leader brings people in gets them to to see the vision and be a part of it so leadership is is one thing and I'm, I continually work on that because uh, it is my, much like Tim said I, I got a degree in real estate and finance and if I did again I would be an English major with a minor in psychology <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you had today the opportunity to mentor mm -hmm. someone out of university or someone yep. out of job that wants to become an entrepreneur right so from your experience over the years, what are the two positive pieces of advice you can give? Do this and you'll be able to get, or you have a better chance to succeed. What are the two pieces of advice? Do this and you have a better chance to succeed. Uh, probably the first thing would be go get a mentor that uh, believes in you and has nothing to gain personally from you. Uh, that you find is successful in the business and somebody that you want to replicate and mirror, number one. Number two is always expect change and never give up. Ha have the vision um, and have the belief in yourself. It takes a, you know, I had a lot of people telling me, don't, don't do that. Tim had family saying, don't you think it's time to go get a salary? And you have to believe in yourself. Tim, you have about 15 seconds to give one piece of advice. Again, I will say, and just like Scott said, uh, never give up and find something you truly love. Yep. Something that you've got a passion for. Because if you can get up every morning and roll into work and have a smile on your face and be motivated, that's everything in life. Have fun. I see. Well, my friends, we reached the end of today's episode of Taking Care of Business. I want to thank you guys, uh, Scott Morse, Managing Partner at Citadel Partners in Dallas, and Tim Mitchell, 
President Norris and Stevens Inc. in uh, Portland. Um, thank you for sharing your stories, experiences, and how to build and grow uh, sales organizations. My next uh, guest next week is going to be Evan Wally, counselor, uh, counselor of Ward 8, the city of Calgary. We will inquire how does the city help entrepreneurs during downturn in economy. I would love to hear back from you. Please email me at dvwallock at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like us on Facebook, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you to Cassandra, our PR coordinator, and Aaron, my uh, loyal engineer. I'll meet you here again at www.voiceamerica.com slash variety next Tuesday, March 27th, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.